Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum. And in this HR Chat, we're going to look at the lived experiences of one of Bridgestone America's senior HR and talent leaders their experiences of holding things together at work during the COVID crisis, and we'll discuss bringing more equity to the workplace. My fantastic, awesome guest this time is Ebony Davis, Executive Director, Talent Culture and Diversity at Bridgestone Americas. Ebony leads a talented team of HR pros across the US and Latin America that support enterprise initiatives to help attract, retain, and develop talent. In addition to talent management, Ebony also leads DEI, DEI at Bridgestone and is responsible for creating strategy and implementing best practices throughout the organization. Ebony was also listed as one of Engage Lee's list of the top 100 HR influencers for this year, for 2021. Um, so she's she's a bit of a superstar. Ebony, welcome to the show today. Hi, Bill. You are too generous, too kind, but I am delighted to be here with you today. So before we hit record, Ebony and I were just getting to know each other, talk, talking off mic, and uh, I'm so jealous because Ebony's in beautiful Nashville. What an amazing place. So awesome. It is an awesome awesome. city. Well, I I need to get back there again soon. Ebony, why don't you start by telling our listeners a bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So, Bill, you've already covered kind of what I do currently. Um, I have the pleasure of leading diversity and talent at Bridgestone, and it is an awesome experience professionally, uh, particularly because I get to work across the U.S. and Latin America and a little bit of with Canada, which, Bill, I know is near and dear to your heart. Um, But You know, one thing that I would say is it is not just about my profession. When I think about who I am and what I do, it really is about the personal as well. So I have the pleasure of being a wife, a mom, um, a sister, daughter, and friend, as well as a native of the South Side of Chicago. So Nashville is absolutely awesome, um, but I will never be a Tennessee Titans fan, uh, which is uh, the American football team. I will always be a Chicago Bears fan. <laughs> right, and and there was us talking about how lovely the weather was in Nashville before we hit record today. And I'd forgotten that yeah, originally you're from Chicago, so you can appreciate <laughs> a similar sort of weather situation to to beautiful Toronto, right? Exactly, and that's also one of the reasons that I moved to Nashville. I did not want to endure those winters. <laughs> yeah, if, if you live in Canada, Toronto is about as far south as you can get, unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> okay, so uh, you just touched upon something there, and it's um, it's the way that you go about describing yourself, which I, I appreciate and I respect. In, in your bio that you sent over to me, Ebony, you say that what defines you is not the summation of, of your credentials, but the but the summation of your character. Uh, talk to me a bit about showing vulnerability as a leader and the role it plays in, in team engagement and in DEI efforts. Yeah, absolutely. So um, in the bio, I write that, you know, it's really about the summation of my credentials. And the reason I wrote that is one of my very favorite quotes um, by Martin Luther King Jr. is around, you know, not being judged by the color of your skin, but the content of the character. And those are really the things that are beyond the surface. So candidly, I'm an African-American female. And yes, I have a master's degree. And yes, I work for Bridgestone. But those aren't the things that really define me. And when I look back at my life, I don't want you to define me by 
the degrees or the letters behind my name. I want you to define me by the contributions that I've made to society and the impact that I've made with my family and those close to me. And so when I think about that, those are really the elements that when you talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's about connecting to the humanity and the humility in a person. And that gets to their values, that gets to their belief systems, um, whether that be around their religion or where they grew up or their mental ability. And so for me, it is really important, particularly as you think about DEI and that vulnerability space, is to get to the connection of the person. And you can't do that without empathy, and you can't have empathy without vulnerability. And so when I think about um, this last year with this pandemic and how much of a toll it has taken on people and our teammates, we call our employees teammates, um, just the stresses, the uh, the the fact that you can no longer compartmentalize home and work, that they're blended together, that you're seeing people with their children in the back of the Zoom calls or the team calls, um, or they're having to put you on pause because they've got to answer to their children or help them with something. You know, that really is about understanding the stresses, the environment, and having empathy for the situation. And that takes the leader to have some vulnerability themselves to say, how are you? And how does that um, affect you? And let me tell you that you're not in it alone. I'm also struggling. I have a child as well. And so when you really think about engagement, it's really about that relationship. It starts with that manager and that teammate or that manager and that employee. It's the relationship that that manager sets and that tone that they set. And you've got to do it by making sure that you have a relationship with your employees or teammates, have empathy for their situation and be willing to be vulnerable in that moment to reassure them, to give them hope, to give them guidance and to also let them know that some of the things they're struggling with are not um, are not dissimilar to the things that you're struggling with. And even though we may be different races or we may be different genders, we do have similarities because of how we're handling situations, the, um, the value systems that we have, the belief systems that we have, and that vulnerability that we connect to. Blue Ivy Group is a global leader in employer branding, organizational culture, and recruitment marketing. We help organizations across the private, public, and not-for-profit sectors build extraordinary employee experiences, magnetic employer brands, and high-performance cultures. To find out more how we can help you, visit our website at blueivygroup.com. I can see why you rose high in the ranks with that kind of attitude. Um, <laughs> and, and by the way, listeners, Emily does have a bunch of letters behind her name. I know it doesn't matter, <laughs> but, but she does. Um, okay. <laughs> okay, so t- today, today's interview, the main focus, I guess, of today's interview is it's a bit of a case study. It's a, I, I'd love to sort of hear from you sort of some of the lived experiences of, of what it's been like over at Bridgestone. One, one of the best recognized brands in the world I'm, I'm a massive <laughs> formula one fan for example um, yes. um so I'm, I'm terribly familiar with bridgestone um it's, it's been it's been a crazy time for, for everyone maybe, maybe you can share your experiences as a senior hr and talent pro at bridgestone of the pandemic its effects on on your employees its effects on the operations of the company as a whole i mean i, I appreciate you've got some folk who who had to continue working in factories for example throughout throughout mm-hmm. most of it and 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 how you've had to how you've had to adapt 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think the way to approach this question is really to first give you a bit of context. So you're very familiar with our brand, and I think we are very well known across the world. Um, but we are actually in a cultural and a business transformation. So we are known as a tire and rubber company, and we're really trying to become a solutions company with tires at the heart of those solutions. But if you think about um, your tire pressure management system on your car, where if you're driving, it may tell you which tire has low tire pressure. You know, those are one of the ways that we're thinking about smart technology, creating solutions for the customers so that it's not a burden so that, that um, for our bigger, for our business customers, they're not having to manually check their tires, but they can have some kind of indicator or sensor that essentially tells them exactly what they need to do, what the maintenance looks like, what load should they be carrying, and I can go on and on. But that journey to become a solutions company is not an easy journey. It's not one that we um, can do overnight. And at the start of the pandemic, we came in to 2020 with a new CEO for Bridgestone Americas, and the Americas is comprised of Canada, um, the United States, and Latin America. And so we came in with a new CEO, and the vision was clear. We needed to become a solutions-oriented company, but how do you do that at the height of a pandemic when you've got teammates that are stressed out that really are trying to understand what it means for them, and now they have to work harder, become more engaged, and rally around this new mission? And so at the start of the pandemic, so call it 2020, I was actually in a global HR business partner role. I was supporting our consumer tire division as well as our commercial tire division and our finance organization. And I had a talented, and that team is still very talented, but I had a talented team of uh, HR pros that were working in that group. But think about this. It's March 2020. Everyone in the corporate office takes their computers home and we think, okay, we'll be out of the office for two weeks. And then it turns into almost two years later. Our manufacturing plants are deemed as essential workers. And so they have to come in every single day, um, wear masks in a very hot environment. They had to, you know, put their own concerns aside and come into the office and still do their job. And then we had a retail and have a retail division that provides all the services, those services to those tires for those uh, people driving back and forth to work and having to get um, places via car because they don't feel comfortable on planes. And so you've got these three very distinct areas of our organization with different concerns. And what I would tell you the commonality between them was everybody was aligned to ensuring that the company that had been around for 90 plus years was around for another 90 plus. So we rallied around that, but it certainly was difficult because we had to understand what financial implications would we have to make because business was dropping. What other things, would, what trade-offs would we have to do with our teammates? So we chose to do furloughs versus mass layoffs to give the company time to recover. And we actually did a very great thing. Um, the government allowed us in the United States to uh, put people on furlough status and they would get unemployment and that would give them at least 80% of their pay. 
we as a company chose to match um, that 80 with an additional percentage to get those teammates and employees as close to whole as possible. But those were some of the things that we were doing because we wanted to ensure that people had that um, mental well-being to know that even if they weren't coming into the office, in the corporate office, they still would have the ability to provide for their family during a very difficult time. And so I would just say, you know, for us, the challenges were not few at all. Uh, the, the ability to execute that well meant that we had to have a very strong HR function. Um, there was a ton of change in the organization. And so quickly equipping your leaders to be able to talk to that change with talking points and best practices uh, was not an easy feat. And then I would also say, you know, for our teammates going through that change curve of not only trying to figure out what it now means to be in an environment where you're not in the office every day, or you're having to come into the manufacturing plant and retail plant despite your own personal um, concerns, going through that change process was a lot. And then rallying around this new, call it rallying cry to become a solutions-oriented company um, were some of the challenges. But I would say, I think what helped us and what saved us was our ability to become agile and our ability to focus on something greater than ourselves, which is really around that solutions company to move the world ahead. I just want to pick up on one thing you said there at the end, uh, Ebony, and, and thank you, by the way, for that answer. Uh, and that was around the importance to, to be agile. Um, mm -hmm. I, 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 as part of my homework, I, I found a, a kind of a press release with you um, back in mm -hmm. March 2020, uh, when everything was mm -hmm. just hit, hitting the fan, so to speak. And, and you, you spoke there about uh, the fact that Bridgestone had a lot of processes in place and you guys were confident that you would be able to ride out a lot of the worst of this. Um, mm -hmm. What, what does it mean to, to be able to, 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 the, to the performance the, and the, the long-term uh, success of a company if, if you can future-proof against crises? I mean, nobody saw this coming, of course, um, but mm -hmm. uh, it, it sounds like maybe you guys were better positioned than some companies. And, and now most companies get that they need to future-proof their organizations because other crises, crises will happen in the future um for example there's more talk about additional pandemics within our lifetime now uh, which is terrifying mm -hmm. um mm. but <laughs> this is a very long question my, my question my question is how important is it to, to future-proof your organization against the un, the unforeseen yeah absolutely so i think i mean i think your question is a very important question and i think it starts with strategy, right? So if your strategy is reactive or your strategy is just focused on what you've always been doing, you can't future-proof. And I think one of the things that Bridgestone has been doing, um, we've had some selling off of different parts of our business and then acquisitions of new business. But one thing that I think Bridgestone is doing to make sure that we are future-proofing against this is making sure we've got a very diverse portfolio. And so I think we were well-positioned for this because if we had just been solely tires and maybe not services, I'm not sure that we would have been deemed essential. But because we have a retail arm that had to take care of our U.S. population getting to and from work um, or moving throughout the country when uh, we weren't sure what the virus was doing on planes and in air, 
that allowed us to have um, a, a leg up and essentially allowed us to ensure that we still had a profit generating part of our business. And so I think one of the things that companies have been doing are thinking about diversifying that portfolio. But then from a culture perspective, you've got to, if you've got a diverse portfolio, you've got to build in agility. And so for us, we just rolled out new, call it company culture, uh, character culture characteristics, sorry. We just rolled out new cultural characteristics where, which are essentially our value system and the things that we want our future employees and teammates to have and what the things that we want our current teammates to have. And that's really about building a culture that is agile, one that can shift and move in turn and navigate some of those future uh, things that we may face in the future. So absolutely think it's important for us to uh, kind of think about how do you have mechanisms and countermeasures in place for the things that you can't see and make sure that you've got a portfolio that will allow you to continue to grow or at least sustain profit um, so that you can make sure that you're around for the next 90 plus years. There you go, listeners. It's called the 90-year plan. Okay. Um, <laughs> now, then, as part of this discussion, you you were you were pretty keen to focus on the the E in D and I, uh, mm-hmm. the, the the equity component. How how do companies focus on this while not diminishing inclusion efforts? And what are you doing over at Bridgestone to ensure an equitable culture? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when I came into this role, so Bridgestone has been on this journey. Bridgestone Americas has been on this D&I journey since 2017. But in 2020, I moved into this talent and diversity role. And I was very, very clear when I came in that we needed to focus on the E. Now, whether you believe that diversity is an output of inclusion or inclusion is an output of diversity, what's also very clear is that you can't get to either output without the input of the E, which is equity. And so equity is really understanding that there are barriers that exist that allow, that may be impending your ability to attract and retain the best and the brightest uh, racially or gender diverse talent, or even just that diversity of thought. And then there are also barriers to ensuring that that talent is included, that has a seat at the table, that they're in roles that are just as impactful, um, that they are in roles that have impact that goes far and down in the organization. And so one of the things that I wanted to make sure that we focused on was that equity is not something that we do to give a leg up or to unfairly disadvantage one group. So for example, if you focus on the African-American group, maybe you're unfairly disadvantaging the white or the Caucasian group. That's not what equity is about. It's about understanding that there are different things that affect those populations and that could affect our ability to retain and develop that talent and include that talent. So one of the things that we've done at Bridgestone um, is adapt some of the national policies that we have, the don't check the box, which is around not asking about criminal history. And the reason for that is uh, the NAACP just uh, produced a report and they said that one in three African-American or black males are likely to be imprisoned. One in six Latinos males um, are likely to be imprisoned. And you compare that against our white population, which say one in 17 are likely to be imprisoned. And so if you're thinking about that, you're saying that by sheer nature of the numbers, 
Um, if you have an application process that asks about criminal history and that is a parameter to getting hired, you are going to, by again, by sheer nature of the numbers, and that's not always the case of the applicants, but if you look at the larger pool, you are going to unfairly disadvantage um, your your people of color population because you will kick them out of the process very early on. So we've adopted the don't check the box. And then we, when we get to the background process, um, it really is about screening what is relevant to the job and then making that determination with legal. We've also adopted processes, again, um, that are national and really said we're not going to ask um, about starting salary. And again, if you think about that, if you um, every company has a midpoint and a range that they pay for each job, but it's also based off of where that candidate is coming or is currently based. Women are less likely to negotiate for a salary um, increase and less likely to negotiate their offer versus a male. And so what happens when you start asking about where someone currently sits within their salary range, you're going to look at your salary range within your company. And if you can get away with giving them something that still fits within the range but isn't increased from where they are, then that's what you're going to do because you're thinking about cost to the organization. But that unfairly disadvantages are women because you could have a male and a woman coming in doing the same exact job, but because she did not negotiate or because her starting salary was lower because it was based on the previous company, again, you could have inequities with two people doing the same job and the inequity stemmed from the fact that they have gender differences. So Bridgetown has really been thinking about what national policies we need to implement, how do we train on them, how do we educate, how do we help our hiring managers understand why we're moving to those things. And then other things that we've been doing are really making sure that we've got mentoring um, programs in place for our women. We do know that sponsorship is something that is very key to moving up in the organization and being promoted. And so we do have mentoring programs with a male presence as well, so that you get that learning, not only from a woman to a man, but also from our men hearing our women leaders and truly understanding some of the concerns that they have, and hopefully they can put that into practice. Um, but those are some of the things that we're doing to make sure that we are, from the beginning and from the inception of the candidate process, bringing people in fairly, and then as we're developing them and moving them through the organization, making sure they have a strong network and support system so that we can ensure that they have inclusion. And that's how the E is playing into our DE&I journey. I, I love it um, that you managed to wrap up the answer by by uh, yeah, using the words in the question. What a pro. <laughs> what a pro. Um, hey, I'm really sad to tell you, and I don't know how this has happened, but um, we're almost out of time here. Um, I had I had a bunch more questions for you, but we're, we're almost out of time. So but before Sorry. we do wrap up, though, well, it's been a great chat. So I'm definitely, definitely going to get you back on if you're, if you're open to it. Um, but um, just for now, though, how can our listeners connect with you and, and learn more about all of the awesome things you get up to? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, LinkedIn is my social media preference. I do uh, have like an Instagram and things like that, but I'm more active on social um, on LinkedIn. And absolutely, you can, you know, you'll see me commenting, you'll see me sharing articles, liking things. Um, and I don't have any speaking engagements or anything coming up um, yet. I had a few uh, this last quarter, but definitely LinkedIn is the best way to connect with me. And then if you're looking for fun articles and topics and uh, things to round out your learning in the DEMI space, McKenzie has some fantastic articles on parity, on um, equity, on diversity and inclusion. And that's one of my favorite sources to get information. Uh, along with the HR Gazette, I'm assuming, of course. Exactly. Oh, I'm sorry. The HR Gazette, absolutely. That is absolutely sorry. She's like the HR what now? Um, hey, oh, Ebony. No, the HR Gazette with Bill. <laughs> thank you. Um, Ebony, uh, this has been a pleasure. Let's definitely do it again soon. But for now, thanks very much for being my guest on this episode. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to more chats. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.